New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is proudly sponsored by Designs for Health. Designs for Health is a family-owned professional brand offered exclusively to healthcare professionals and their patients. For over 25 years, they have been the healthcare professional's trusted source for research-backed nutritional products. Their guiding philosophy, Science First, is demonstrated by a commitment to research-driven products, synergistic formulations, and meaningful quantities of therapeutic ingredients. Find them at www.designsforhealth.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where I am bringing you the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. I'm really excited to be talking to Dr. Mark Berhenna. Uh, Mark is a family and sleep medicine dentist. He's been in private practice for almost 30 years. Uh, he focuses on patient-centered and preventative dental health care. The day his wife was diagnosed with sleep apnea was the day he began learning everything he could about sleep medicine dentistry and sleep breathing. He's author of The Eight-Hour Sleep Paradox, How We Are Sleeping Our Way to Disease, Fatigue, and Unhappiness, and the creator of AskTheDentist.com, which is dedicated to helping people understand oral health and the mouth-body connection for overall wellness. I do want to say his uh, website is a treasure trove. It's geared towards the lay audience, but there is much for us as clinicians to uh, glean from the site. Mark, welcome to New Frontiers. Oh, Kara, thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really delighted to be talking to you. I, you know, it, it, you are a key player in the functional medicine team, and I think uh, we will be embracing uh, dentistry and the and, and, and the need for you as a as a pivotal player in our team as this research around the uh, oral systemic connection continues to bloom. So, talk to me about the oral systemic connection. What's your take on well, it? Well, I agree with you. I mean, it's um, it's something that uh, more collaboration needs to occur between dentistry and. And medicine, and I think it's beginning to happen, um, right. especially with uh, with this wave of information coming about the oral systemic condition. Um, the connection, I mean, on our website, we always refer to it as what happens in the mouth happens in the body. That's just a kind of a simple way to look at it, but it is so true and, and a little scary. Um, but the more you know about it and the more you understand about it, I mean, there are things that can be done about it. Mm -hmm. so in simple words, it's an infection. It's an oral infection. So it's an infection that starts in the mouth that can affect the rest of the body. So for example, gum disease, which is the classic oral infection, and, and there are other infections we'll talk about, but periodontal disease is a big one. 70%, maybe 75% of the population in this country has it. It's, wow. it's endemic, um, yeah. Um, and, um, but it can affect the course and, and the, uh, even the pathogenesis of things like cardiovascular disease, pneumonia, diabetes, um, uh, low birth weight and early term pregnancy, those are two scary things. Um, even uh, inflammatory bowel uh, disease, rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, there, there's yeah. this, there is this connection between what does go on in the mouth, does happen in the body, and it can linger, it can be kind of transient, um, but it's important to know um, why an infection in the mouth can have this effect as a practitioner, but also as a patient. Um, yeah. And it's caused by a bacteremia, bugs in the blood. Um, I mean, normally blood is sterile, uh, as we all know, but uh, after a dental visit or it, even if you're home with an infection in your mouth, um, your blood could be um, non-sterile, um, which, of course, leads to a vigorous immune response. So right. uh, yeah, as a dental student, I mean, back to functional, you mentioned functional, which is I just think that's so redundant because everything, everything in healthcare, everything should be functional. We shouldn't right. even have a label, but unfortunately there is a division there. Um, in dental school, we are, it's pounded into our heads, first of all, prevention, prevention, prevention. I think mm -hmm. we, as a profession, were kind of started out as based as prevention, maybe more so than medicine, although that's changing. But we were, it was pounded into our head for legal reasons, malpractice reasons, that you had to pre-med, um, and this is that oral systemic connection. This is 30, 40 years ago, it's long been known, that if you don't, um, give a patient who has had infective endocarditis or a bad a prosthetic heart valve, for example, that if you right. don't give them some form of antibiotic before your dental visit, 
they could walk out of there and die two or three days later. So dentists have always known this, but it's only been the last 10, 15 years where it's just really bloomed, and we've gotten more information, and of course we don't understand it all, but it's important enough to, to discuss. Right. It's fascinating. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, they thought that we had mitral valve prolapses, me and my siblings, and we were always treated with antibiotics for a, a period of time. Um, and then imaging, I guess, became a little bit more refined, and they said, no, in fact, you don't. <laughs> so no more yeah, antibiotics. They've become a lot more selective as to who gets a pre-medication of antibiotic, which is nice. Right, right. It used to be a real broad kind of uh, global thing where if you had any chance of anything, you would get lots of antibiotics just for a dental visit. So I think the tre- so there, I have a couple of, of thoughts around this bacteremia. I mean, clearly it can be fatal in a vulnerable population, as you've just articulated. Um, but I also wonder if, you know, on this continuum, in a, health, a healthy individual, you know, bacteremia is, you know, moved through. There's no issue associated with it. They, you know, they have a chance to, um, you know, allow their immune system to jump into action and do its job. And, um, and I think that that's probably, that's, I mean, we've evolved this way, so that can't be a bad thing. I think it's probably right. uh, absolutely, it's, it's appropriate. It's a totally appropriate, and that's why we have an immune system. Um, right. But in some cases, such as the folks that you've mentioned, uh, it, it, there is a big problem. And I think that there's probably, you know, there's certainly cases that aren't um, at the level of endocarditis who experience a bacteremia for uh, which it's a problem. So can you talk to me about that? Um, some You're of the right. I mean, it is, it is a normal thing. I mean, every time you fall and cut yourself, uh, there's a potential for, anytime you break the skin, there's, there's a potential for and likely a bacteremia. Um, it's transient. Transient means, refers to maybe five to 20 minutes and, and you know, the immune system in the blood um, and, and of course in the body responds to it quickly. I mean, the macrophages and you know, all the little, what I call the stormtroopers, I mean, they come out, they're there, they're waiting, and mm-hmm. um, they will take it down. So, but the problem is, um, and again, this is rare, we're not, this is something that doesn't happen all the time, although I hear it often, I mean, I hear about someone dying after a dental visit, and you hear it every once in a while, um, and you wonder, you know, what was the predisposing condition of that patient? What, were they sick? Were they immune compromised? I mean, they, did they... Have, did they have diabetes and they were fighting peripheral neuropathy where they had some dead tissue in their foot and right. the simple dental cleaning just uh, just made things worse. So um, so it is, um, well, okay, so for example, let's, um, so if you come in for a tooth extraction, it's 100% likely that you'll have some gram-negative bacteria anaerobes running around your bloodstream for 10, 15 minutes. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's pretty sudden, which I find amazing that, the minute you cause some insult or injury in the mouth, it's within a minute. Um, right. I've seen, let's say it's within 30 seconds, uh, and that's incredible. But yeah. um, And I'll discuss later how that happens and how it doesn't happen as often in a healthy mouth. There, there's a little communication there where if it's broken down, that there's a little doorway that does open, and I think it's important that we all know when that door is open. But So if you come in for cleaning, a scaling, mm-hmm. Most scalings, you know, do good scalings occur below the gum line, and that causes bacteremia. That's about a 70% chance of having a bacteremia. And this is why you're walking out the door. This is actually why you're sitting in the dental chair. Yeah. Um, now, here's a big one. I, I was surprised to see the number so low, and, and you've, I'm sure you've read about how scary root canals are perceived yes. by um, um, because, as being a source for, you know, a chronic bacteremia. Um, or seeding yes. infections in the body, but that's only there's a 20% chance of a bacteremia. But 20% I'll talk chance. more about root canals, but but those bacteria could essentially be worse because they're in a closed space. They're definitely anaerobes. Um, and I also throw in tonsillectomies in there. It's a 55% chance of that. I think it's actually higher than that. A lot of kids come in with beavers after their tonsillectomies, and and they do just fine. But and again, that's not in the realm of dentistry. But I include that because it is kind of the oral pharynx. It's mm-hmm. part of the mouth. It's the same set of bacteria. Yes. I mean, they change a little bit as you drop down into the esophagus, and then of course, um, you know, the gut bacteria. Actually, um, you had a guest on a, a few months ago that 
that I interviewed, and she's wonderful. Her name is Cass. I think it's Cass Dooley. But she mentioned that there was a crossover of the bacteria in the mouth, mm-hmm. the normal bacteria, the healthy microbiome biome in the mouth, mm-hmm. and that in the gut. There's about a 45% crossover. Right. And um, so, you know, tonsillectomies certainly can be included in that. Um, and then, um, so as dentists, we were taught just to, I mean, this is not something, it gets discussed in dental school, but not very, you know, maybe an hour is spent on it, and then it gets forgotten because we see a cavity and we just drill and fill it. We are perceived as being, and sometimes we perceive ourselves as just being machinists um, mm-hmm. or woodshop experts, you know, of the teeth. Uh, we see a hole and we, we cut out the dry rot, so to speak, the, the decay, and we fill it. But I think it's better, to, and I think this is happening in dentistry, it's beginning to happen, um, that these infections actually... Um, are, are quite serious that we have to look at a tooth infection mm-hmm. as essentially a systemic infection. Right. Um, and w- w- the studies show that uh, kids, uh, about 9 or 10% of kids with cavities have bacteremia. They're walking around with uh, infected blood supply because of the cavity. So thinking about this, you know, the movement away from, you know, just local action, drill and fill, as you say, to really considering the body as a whole and the impact you know, of dentistry on the entire being or just the impact of good oral care on the entire being. I mean, how has that shift shifted your practice? You know, how do you, how do you approach the root canal patient today? Um, I mean, do, do, do you advise any self-care before or are you using, I'm, I'm sure that antibiotics are required in, in, in certain individuals. And I, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a dentist. This area is uh, I'm learning. I'm learning from you today. But, I mean, how has, as you've really expanded, um, you know, how has that shifted you as a clinician? Well, um, I think two things. Um, there has been a shift, and certainly looking at root causes and, first of all, preventing them. And, again, prevention is, is how dentists think. I mean, we're, we're trained that way. We were trained that way from day one. We even give out nutritional advice. I mean, it's, right. um, it's yeah, something that... Um, was something that was just in dental school 30 years ago. We were doing yes. acupuncture. This is, um, you know, a dental school on the West Coast. And um, Amazing. for some reason, I just felt that we were a little ahead of medicine where medicine was just, you know, uh, prescribing, prescribing, and, and cutting and, and suturing up. So on the other hand, though, in over the last 30 years, there are a lot of things I've seen and have changed and modified, as you referred to, and that is, you know, what, how can we not even get there, you know, to needing a root canal? Um, and there have been some things that have really blown my mind. I mean, for example, um, in the course of my career, grinding, bruxism, nocturnal mm-hmm. bruxing and grinding, was really a thing. Uh, it, was be- it was behavioral. It was stress. There was a stress component. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was an occlusal mechanics kind of component. If the bite was off, if the crown was put in too high, or if it was crowding, malocclusions, and that would cause grinding. And actually, that's beginning to shift. Um, maybe not concrete yet, but we're beginning to think and see, and I certainly believe it, and that is that bruxism is um, a sign that that patient is struggling for air at night. Uh, wow. And so, so so, when I look at teeth damage now, I look at it in a very functional, systemic way. It's like, well, okay, you're pounding that tooth, and I need to fix it and crown it and, and protect it, but what's what caused it? What was the root cause of that? Oh, my goodness, you have a small airway, and from from being a child to, to an adult, you've been grinding your teeth away, and of course the teeth can't tolerate that. Wow. They crack, they break, uh, they fall out. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I have changed in, in my approach uh, because things, and the more information we get, it's, it's great. Um, mm-hmm. So there are some big concepts in dentistry, um, and I think things are changing. So you um, might be looking at the patient with bruxism as potentially having sleep apnea or some sort of a you know, a, yep. a, a, a nocturnal hypoxia. I, I mean, would you, yep. so, so you would work Sleep them up? Sleep disorder breathing. Sleep Definitely. disorder breathing. Sleep disorder breathing, yep. Okay. Yep. And so you'd be working them up for that and looking carefully. I mean, would you recommend that to us that we refer to either a dentist specializing in uh, sleep medicine or go for a sleep study or something in our patients with bruxism? Yeah. So dentists cannot uh, diagnose sleep apnea. We can only screen for it. But And that's one of the big cruxes in my book is why is a dentist writing or why should you be listening to a dentist about sleep? And that is that we can pick it out sooner 
than a physician can. And most people don't come in and say, listen, you know what, I'm tired in the afternoon. I'm kind of drowsy at the sleep at the, you know, at the, at the steering wheel, um, and I think I have a small airway. I think I need to get that checked. They don't know that. Mm-hmm. They, they can't vocalize that. Um, it's a difficult thing, even though it's out there in the media and all that. We just think we're getting older and we're slowing down and we're stressed. But a dentist can sit a patient down. Of course, we, are, we see our patients lying down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we throw a lot of water in their mouth and, and you know, do things in there, and, and that's hard for them. So if they're a nose breather, for example, they can do pretty well. If they're a mouth breather and they can't breathe through their nose and we're working in their mouth, we can pick up on that. And mouth breathing, that, that's an that's indication of poor development, um, you know, uh, as far as the oral, as, as far as the airway goes. Uh, we can see things like a fissured tongue, mm-hmm. a scalloped tongue. We can mm-hmm. see uh, a, the attrition, lingual erosions. That's where the teeth are literally on the upper teeth, on the linguals on the inside of the teeth, are literally being etched away by acid. There's a big correlation between GERD and sleep apnea. So in wow. a matter of minutes, in a matter of minutes, even seconds, I've pretty much made a decision on whether this patient should go get a sleep study. So, yes, you can refer to a dentist. You would probably have to go to an organization like the AADSM.org and look, and then refer off of that list because they're trained to do that. Not every dentist is, and I think that will change. But certainly send them to your primary care physician after viewing all that. Uh, I would sit down with your local dentist that is trained in this, go through a few slides. Mm-hmm. It's not difficult to pass this knowledge on. It's all visual, um, and I'm sure you're already seeing it. Um, you know, if you, you can see a, like a retronathic patient, that's a class 2 mm-hmm. patient with a very receded chin. Yes. Um, you know, it's, I mean, you probably know this, Kara. You go to a cocktail party, and you're analyzing everyone in that room. <laughs> um, I look at facial expressions, um, you know, the amount of wear and tear on the teeth. Yeah. Within a few seconds of conversing with someone, I pretty much know if they're a grinder or not. Right. Um, and then I wonder, well, what's going on there? What, what's the root cause of that? So anyway, it's, it's an exciting time to be a dentist because we have a lot to share. Um, but again, it's the collaboration between, you know, the dental and medical worlds that's important. So I've got a bunch of questions. Thanks for all sure. of that, many pearls in that. Um, so you see, just to, just to circle back, you know, you see bruxism, and, and obviously, and you see these various signs, and, um, you know, protracted bruxism leads to damage and possibly requiring root canal, and then we're back to the bacteremia and inflammation. Is that right? Oh, yep. Okay, I got it. And so you're yeah. just, and, and so why the bruxism? I mean, is you know, yeah. is stress a big component of bruxism, or are you? I mean, do you think that disordered breathing would be uh, higher up on your um, differential? It would be higher up. Uh, I think. I mean. The, the paradigm is shifting, and there's a, uh, a study outside of, of out of uh, Quebec, uh, Levine, I forget the other two doctors, and that is suggesting, it, it hasn't crossed over completely saying it is absolutely the cause, but they're recommending, and they're doing further research, of course, that bruxism should be looked at as, I mean, when you see bruxism, you should consider small airway. Wow. Um, and that, and that, and, and that's, it, to me, it makes sense. I mean, I've, Treated over a thousand people with uh, oral appliances, or, or referring them out for CPAPs, and I, mm-hmm. I see them, you know, every six months, every three months, uh, probably more often than a physician does. And um, and I'm convinced that uh, I, I have maybe two or three patients that I just got it wrong, where they were severe bruxers, and the sleep study came back negative, and I, I suspect that perhaps the sleep study wasn't completely accurate, but you know, we're going with it for now. But I mean, that's that's a high batting average. I mean, to me, yes. it is concrete that if it's, it's important enough to, it's accurate enough to know that if you see bruxism and it's nocturnal bruxism, then you do need to consider a smaller way. And I see it in kids all the time. Wow. I mean, they're weird sleeping positions, like yeah. grinding, and kids aren't really stressed. They have short-term stress. Um, yes. But they, I mean, I'm talking about like a four-year-old. And you look at their baby teeth and they're ground flat, and you're wondering, why are they doing that? There's no reason they should do that. That's why this, when this study came out, I was relieved. I, I knew there was something more to grinding. And um, so it's, um, it's wonderful because now we can treat it early. We know that bruxism is not a normal thing. Most, I would say most dentists, um, and, and less so today, but they, would just even, they wouldn't even mention bruxism. I think bruxism is a huge, huge thing yes. and should be treated as such. As yes. Much. 
I, I'm with you. And we see it in practice all of the time. And I have to confess that, you know, I more often than not consider, you know, the stress component. But I, so I appreciate this remarkable pearl. Um, to you probably see a lot of TMJ and TMD, mm -hmm. and, and that's always been very difficult to deal with. But the source could be years and years and years of these parafunctional grinding movements at night uh, that are designed to help open the airway. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So with, with TMJ, is, would you say that that's most commonly caused by bruxism? I mean, that's, that's often my conclusion, or not? Yes, yes, okay. I, I do, although there's some other factors. The big one is uh, trauma. Has there ever been any trauma, facial trauma, car accidents, falling, bicycle accidents, um, you know, a blow to the face, that kind of thing. So there's usually a history of some kind of trauma, but, of course, bruxism is trauma. I mean, yes. it's long-term trauma. It's self-inflicted. That's, uh, okay, very useful. And I just wanted to let you know, folks, the website that Mark mentioned, aadsm.org, I'll make sure that it's on uh, the podcast page so you can access that. Um, and that's um, uh, dentists trained in sleep medicine, correct? Yes. Okay, so you can look for referrals there for your patients. Uh, just a, a, a very valuable pearl. Okay, so you threw out a couple other things that I just got flagged on immediately uh, and need to circle back to just for a couple of comments from you. You mentioned the fissured tongue. You mentioned scallop tongue, um, you know, evidence of GERD. Can you, I mean, when you see a fissured tongue, what are you thinking about? So the tongue, that, a fissure is that long line down the middle, you mm -hmm. know, uh, side, and it's... Um, um, it means that the tongue is too large for its space. It's folding over on itself. Ah. Um, when, it, when, it, when you swallow, and assuming that the, the patient is swallowing correctly, it's, it's being forced up into the palate area, or if it, the patient's a tongue thruster being forced forward, that tongue keeps getting folded over. Uh, and then, of course, the scalloping occurs on the edges of the tongue. Yes. You see these little, little scalloped ridges. Yes. Um, and, uh, I mean, just look. I mean, I, of course, see lots of tongues. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, I mean, just looking at the tongue, doing a Malampati uh, evaluation or Friedman scale, those are how the ENTs look at the airway, just have them open. And if the tongue hides the tonsils and the uvula and is up against the soft palate, I mean, and that's in a non-relaxed state. Think about what that would be in a relaxed state when the patient's in deep sleep or trying to get to deep sleep and there's paralysis of the muscles. I mean, that all just kind of congeals together. The tongue rolls up into a little ball, like a little golf ball, and sits on top of that little airway. And wow. Oh, that's just such a great, those are great, great pearls. I see scalloping and fissuring, especially scalloping in my patients all of the time because I do, I do, right. um, you know, check the tongue and gums and so forth. And in my world, you know, thinking as a sort of in the trenches functional medicine clinician, when I see evidence of, um, you know, tongue enlargement, uh, hyperglossia, I think about, um, digestion, absorption, you know, yep, uh, yep. small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and, you know, on down the line, food sensitivities seem to, you know, result in scalloping and so forth. There's quite a, there's quite a bit on it. So I work from it, I work from that perspective, but thinking about the impact on, on breathing and on, um, uh, you know, particularly disordered breathing at night is just a extremely useful uh, pearl and undoubtedly, you know, fatigue is a complaint of of these patients because it's a complaint right. of almost all of my patients, and so that would be a right. piece of the puzzle. Uh, very well, good. What's interesting is that physicians um, they call the mouth that where the teeth are and the tongue they call it the little black box. I, I get that reference. I, I hear that all the time, and and I've stopped laughing because it's pretty serious. And you know, someone like you that's looking in the mouth that's important. Everyone should look at the mouth. But physicians literally look past it. I, I ski with an ENT, and last weekend he was referring to the, oh, those that teeth, the black box. Yeah, I, I have no idea what that's all about. I mean, <laughs> and, and that's where the collaboration is, is very important. A yes. lot goes on in the mouth. And, and as, you, as you just said, you can tell a lot about just by looking at someone's mouth, their smile, their muscles of facial expression, you know, um, bleeding gums. I mean, there's just so much wealth of information. And, and it, it makes, I mean, we're, we're trained to be diagnosticians, right? That is our main goal is to find out, get quickly to the root cause. And that certainly can help. It's such mm -hmm. a quick and easy, it just adds so much to the equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, re I appreciate, you know, your um, 
vantage point on getting to root cause. It's, it's, it's useful for me. Um, okay, so this, and this is, uh, you know, obviously we're going to, we're going to save a lot of teeth this way if we, if we go there, but, you know, it, it, any comments around, um, root canal in the individual who does require one? I mean, I, I yeah, that's a good question. You asked that before and I didn't answer it. Um, so here's my take on root canals. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a bread and butter kind of thing for dentists. I mean, we've long been doing root canals, even back in Egyptian times, uh, uh, mummification of the of the tooth with gold points. I mean, it's an um, has an amazing history, and of course, it's refined since then. So here's my take on root canals. Um, yes, uh, and maybe I should back up a little bit and describe the mechanism of how the bacteria in the mouth get into the body. There's this thing called the biological width. In other words, there are very few areas in the body where something comes right through the skin or or the the seal of the mucosa and the teeth are one of them. And the body has to kind of keep that area very safe from infection because bacteria can enter through that. So the teeth are popping out through the gums. Mm -hmm. How do you keep that sealed? Of course, the mouth is a crazy place. I mean, all this stuff's coming in. You're breathing in air and mm -hmm. eating things. And, and, um, so, and you're taking in a lot of bacteria in your food, most of it hopefully good. I mean, that's where the microbiome is fed, right, through the mm -hmm. mouth. Uh, but... Um, so when that breaks down, and that breaks down, that little attachment, that little fibrous, it's like a girdle around the base of the tooth where, you're, where you see your gum mm -hmm. end. Just below that, there's a little bit of a pocket, and below that, there's this little tight girdle of fibers, and we call that the biological width, and it has a certain width. It, it depends. It can be three millimeters in some areas, and in anterior areas, it can be a little thinner. But that width, the minute it's violated, you have this oral systemic connection. I mean, mm -hmm. that's where the bacteria... Uh, get to so so and the bacteria in the pockets are more anaerobic because they're not seeing a lot of oxygen mm -hmm. um, and so they're maybe perhaps a little bit more virulent so then that breaks apart and then of course teeth are one of the few non-shedding parts of the body and they collect just layers and layers of bacteria right and that's the biofilm that's plaque and the pellicle and, and all that so so then comes the root canal, right? So the tooth becomes infected, it dies, and it needs to have its tissue removed on the inside because it's feeding already a, a infected tooth that needs a root canal is causing a bacteremia. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's spilling all the toxins out, the t out of the tip of the root, and the bone and the blood vessels, I mean, are taking that as a complete just onslaught. And, of course, that's seeding the whole body for an infection. Many people died because of abscesses back in when we first started recording these things in the 18th century. Um, so then the dentist comes along, um, and he has a solution. He's going to clean out. He's going to bore a little hole in the top of the tooth and go inside and clean that infection out, completely remove it, and seal it. The problem is, and, those are, and inside that tooth at that point in time, a lot of anaerobes. I mean, it's almost 100% anaerobes. And... The problem is, is do you get every single bug when you disinfect the root canal? You can't sterilize it. Um, you know, do you? And you, the answer is no. So what happens to those bacteria? Mm. So my take on root canals is, and I have one in my mouth, and I'm watching it very carefully, and I was very upset that I needed it and have it. On the other hand, um, I think a well-done root canal can serve a function. The minute it goes south, though, I think you, you have to cut to the chase and remove the tooth. Okay. Um, and so how do, you, how do you ascertain that? You can talk to your dentist. You can look at it radiographically. Um, I don't like taking a lot of x-rays, but here's a little tip. Mm -hmm. If you tap on that tooth with the back end of a fork and you tap on all the teeth in that quadrant and that tooth is a little bit tender, I would say that's a failed root canal. That should not be. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of patients that live with that. They're like, oh, my tooth's a little tender. And, well, you know, that could mean that, you know, you need a retreat on the root canal. The root canal's not doing well. We use terms like the root canal's leaking, uh, it's failing, you know, that kind of thing. So, so I'm not crazy about root canals, but, you know, I have a lot of patients that have them. They do well. The ones that don't, we, we go right to the next thing, and that's the implant. Unfortunately, the implant violates the biological width mm -hmm. because there's no connection. That, the, that little girdle of tissue that seals off the oral space from the systemic space it can't grow around uh, the collar of an implant, it's titanium. Titanium integrates very well with bone, but it doesn't integrate at all with the tissue. So by definition, an implant 
um, violates the biological whip and causes a bacteremia in a way. And I see a lot of that. I see a lot of implants with little pus coming out of just very, very low-grade purulence uh, coming out of the of the sulcus or pocket, and uh, it's always there. It's there every three months, every six months. And what do you do about that? So. It's, it's a tricky thing. I mean, we need our teeth. Uh, without teeth, we don't digest food properly. We live, uh, you know, a, a lower-quality life, and we don't live as long. Um, so it's, it's, it's always kind of a compromise. So I'm not crazy about root canals, but I work with them. I do do them. Um, I have an endodontist that I think does a great job. Mm-hmm. But the minute uh, something goes wrong, um, it's, it's time to bail. You can't let it sit in there. It. It's, it's going to cause a long-term chronic bacteremia. And um, and that's not a good thing. Right. Got it. Okay. Um, all right. So then I, I see why. I mean, clearly the emphasis is on preventative. And um, yep. and I appreciate how, you know, dentists have been educated in that in that way. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? What what an ideal preventative protocol would be for you? Yes. Um, well, uh, just stop eating food. <laughs> right. I mean. <laughs> right. Well, and and. The real, the real thing is to stop eating, start, start eating the right foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really brush and floss our teeth. If we ate raw broccoli and nuts and seeds, and we probably would never really need to worry about oral hygiene. I mean, that goes back to our ancestors. Uh, yeah. Yes, they had chewing sticks, and and you know maybe they adorned their teeth and did things. Um, uh, we didn't see much bruxism in, in our ancestors. Uh, what does that say about the airway? I don't know, but. Here, here we've, we've this diet that we have, this Western diet. It's not even a Western diet. It's a global diet since we've been growing things and modifying things and genetically modifying things. I mean, we're getting allergies from our food. We're reacting to it. We're mm-hmm. getting long-term inflammatory uh, effects from it. Um, and that happens in the mouth, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, sugar and um, – I mean, sugar is a, is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, sugar – Refined sugar is, mm-hmm. has been wonderful for the profession of dentistry. I mean, it's given us a lot of work to do, but it's, it's ca- cavities are pretty much all diet. I mean, it's, um, you could, by eating the right diet, uh, never need to have a, uh, you know, break a tooth or fall on a tooth or if you're bruxing, that kind of thing. But, but the infections in the mouth, prevention really is key. Uh, of course, it's good knowing that we do cheat on our diets every once in a while to floss and brush. I mean, mm-hmm. perfect, good oral uh, hygiene at home is, is, is a good thing, and it doesn't do any damage, although when you brush your teeth, by the way, you do create a bacteremia, right. a transient bacteremia. Um, but in a healthy mouth, that's not an issue, as we discussed. Uh, yes. But if you have gum disease and you're an aggressive brusher, uh, that could be a problem. Yes. Um, especially if you have heart disease, and typically people with gum disease have diabetes and and then, of course, uh, another oral systemic connection, which is kind of a reverse kind of thing. Someone who has diabetes and gum disease, the gum disease makes it more difficult for that patient to regulate their blood sugar levels. Mm-hmm. Wow. That little feedback loop that occurs. So, so, um, so, yeah, the best thing to do, it's diet. I mean, bone broth, uh, eating, you know, meats and, and vegetables. Uh, I would stay away from fruit. I mean, they do have sugar in them. Mm-hmm. Certainly juices. Um, but uh, if you eat like our ancestors did, uh, typically you'll you'll be fine. I mean, you'll have you may even develop properly. I mean, as you as you're a young kid, you'll have a wider arch. You may have a better airway. You may mm-hmm. not. You may be able to breathe your nose better. These are these little epigenetic things that occur over yes. time. I mean, that you know when we we stop breastfeeding, we go to this uh, the formula, and the formula causes. Uh, us not to be able to breathe through our nose because we're allergic to it, then we become mouth breathers, and then our whole oral pharynx and, and palates and arch widths and all that changes. I mean, we grew up with a crazy airway and mouth with crowded teeth. Oh, isn't um, that incredible? Jeez. Yeah. So it's prevention. You're right. I mean, it's always it's education, and, and that's what we're here for. Doctors are educators. I mean, that's, it, the, the name comes from the Latin root of the verb to teach. Right, and we need to teach, and we're not. We're fixing. We're applying meds, prescribing meds, and we're treating symptoms. And I mean, you, I know you've heard all this before, Kara, but it's the same in dentistry. Even yeah. though we're very preventative based, we're still just kind of putting band aids on and, and waiting. And we're not dentists. I think need to talk more about diet. Um, mm-hmm. It's really one of the greatest contributors to um, 
to problems in the mouth. Yes. Well, yeah, I hear you. I mean, gosh, you know, you've said, you've said so much uh, in that in that last uh, that last comment. You know, connecting the dots, even epigenetically, so multi generational. You know, just right. the, the the bad diet and the influence on well, systemic health, of course, but then you know the oral health and moving into sleep apnea and all of, and and, right. and the other things. Thank you. That's absolutely brilliant. Um, okay, so I want to move over and talk about the um, oral microbiome. Lots of research right. coming out on that. Um, you know, just, you know, what, what is your take on it? Um, big picture. And how do you, uh, talk to patients about it? Do you recommend, you know, intervention specifically for the oral microbiome, oral probiotics? Yes. So what Definitely. do you... Definitely. Um, yeah, it's very exciting. You're right. Um, I love all this new information that's coming out. I think it's dead on. Um, unfortunately, the oral microbiome is kind of being pushed aside, not pushed aside, but kind of not talked about as much. And, and that's, uh, what I like to talk about a lot, the oral microbiome and the gut microbiome are linked together. Um, mm -hmm. Again, as we spoke earlier, uh, I had a wonderful interview with Cass Nelson Dooley, who you know well and have interviewed, yep. and she has really educated me in, in many areas. And again, she's not a dentist, uh, um, so that's wonderful. I mean, there's so much information out there. We can learn so much. So the um, And that's on the website. That's one of our most popular uh, and it is kind of technical. It's uh, I, unfortunately for our lay readers, it's it was a little difficult, but nonetheless fascinating. But the oral microbiome influences the gut, and um, it's connected to it. Um, I, I think of it as kind of the seeding station for the oral microbiome gut. Um, sorry for the the, the the gut microbiome. Yep. And got uh, it. of course, we swallow foods. We can swallow probiotics. Uh, you know, fermented products, of course, are high in probiotics and even prebiotics, and, and that's important. So the food, the, the mouth in that sense is kind of the gateway. But also it's the colonization. It's the, it's the colony of bugs that's in the mouth that literally can, is connected to the gut microbiome. So, mm -hmm. so for example, um, here we are. Uh, so obviously we're trying to cultivate good gut microbiome, and we don't send chemicals down there, and we're against antibiotics that, of course, would just wreak havoc down there. So what are we doing to our mouths? We are basically blasting it with mouthwashes that have triclosan, pesticides, antibacterial soaps, uh, alcohol, ethanol, yeah. uh, all these things that are basically killing and, and, and proudly state that, that, oh, you know, Listerine, we have a 20-minute kill rate. We kill everything in the mouth for 20 minutes. Well, of course, it's impossible to kill everything. But there is a kill rate. It does only happen for about 20 minutes. But then on the back end of that, we're creating this massive regrowth, which isn't necessarily a good thing because, you know, how does everything grow back? I mean, what's the ratio of the good to bad bugs? It's usually worse after you've done this massive kill. I mean, we can see that in the, in the gut microbiome uh, with antibiotics. Yes. I mean, it upsets the whole yes. ratio and population. So, But we've been doing that for decades to our mouth and yes. no one's you know raising the alarm on that and um it's it, and it can also be toothpaste there's triclosan and toothpaste there's mm -hmm. sodium lauryl sulfate there are all these agents that don't need to be there that are touted to be there to help us which and they're not it's the opposite so what do you do the best thing you can do of course is to um kind of culture you have to feed and protect and nourish mm -hmm. what's in your mouth and and you can do that. We on our website we recommend a a lozenge. Um, I've long been looking for this product. It's wonderful. Um, it's a lozenge that you dissolve in your mouth, um, and it's loaded with probiotics. Um, that would be a good thing. You could eat the right foods. Back to the right foods. That's yes. that's number one, right? I mean the right diet. Um, um, you know, I mean it's um, you stay away from all these chemicals. Uh, Mechanically uh, cleaning your teeth is fine. That's with floss and, and a toothbrush, uh, as long as it's not a worn toothbrush and the technique is done and it's not overdone. A lot of people overbrush in this, mm -hmm. in this country uh, for the people that do brush, right? Um, and then a lot of us don't brush enough. But uh, So it's back to diet. Um, but the big threats to the oral microbiome are the high-sugar diets because that culture is a whole different... I mean, essentially you're taking strep mutans yes. and you're feeding it and you're making it the dominant bug in the mouth. Uh, I would almost call that a mismatch disease where the diet 
essentially has changed our whole I mean, we didn't evolve on that diet, so now we have this diet that feeds all the wrong bacteria, and we have this whole different colony of bacteria in our mouth, and of course it's causing cavities and gum disease and a host of other things, candidiasis and, you know, low pH levels. I mean, that's... And if we think of it as being something connected to downstream, then maybe we'll give it a little bit more credit. We th- I think we think as patients, but also as doctors, you know, it just goes past the mouth, don't worry about it. It's what happens down below that's important. And there is that 45% overlap of bugs between the mouth and the gut. Yes. And, uh, you know, is that, I don't know, is that a lot or is that too little? I think it's a, it's a connection. Um, a big connection. And then mouth breathing. Mouth breathing can affect the oral microbiome. Right. Um, I mean, we're, we're designed to, we, we evolve to breathe through our nose most of the time, especially at night and walking, maybe not while exercising. And the nose, as you know, um, humidifies the air, it warms the air, and it also increases uh, the nitric oxide uh, content. And there are oral bacteria, and when I say oral bacteria, that's the bacteria that are in the nose, the nose airway, uh, oral pharynx, and and in the mouth. Um, They contribute, we can't make our own nitric oxide, but the bacteria in our mouth can. They contribute to about 25% of the nitric oxide production in our body. And of course, nitric oxide is 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 like crack for us. I mean, it's the best thing for us. It helps our, well, crack's a bad, bad analogy, but you know. No, what I, mean? I got it's, it. It's, uh, I was about to say like candy, but that's also a bad analogy. But <laughs> it's great. I mean, yes. it, it helps our blood vessels, it, the tone of our blood vessels and the wall of the blood vessel. It's important. Right. So if we're mouth breathing, we're not getting the nitric oxide, and we're drying out the mouth, which uh-huh. changes the whole environment, the pH, and then the wrong bugs start growing. So, yes. so I'm a big proponent of mouth taping. I mean, a, a big supporter of mouth taping. And uh, what that's is that? Where, well, it's you have to use the right tape. You can buy special tape for it. It's um, it's a breathing method, um, and I mentioned my book. Um, okay. And I've tried it. I've had patients try it. If you can wake up in the morning with the tape over your mouth still, uh, after you've taped it closed, then you're a great nose breather. I mean, that's a great mm. uh, diagnostic tool. Mm. If you rip that tape off, you, you fold the edge of the tape over a little bit so that in the middle of the night you can grab it and pull it off, that means you're you're a mouth breather, and that your oral microbiome and your incidence of cavities and gum disease is just going to go up. Not not to mention what's happening downstream. So I think the take-home message for oral microbiome is that if you don't nourish it, if you keep killing it off and putting it down with all these chemicals that we have on our shelves here, at, you know, at the stores for in the oral hygiene section, um, then the oral systemic connection will be less of an issue for you and. And that's a good thing, uh, and it keeps the mouth working as it was designed. Yes, wonderful. Thank you so much for that. I just want to circle back because uh, you've said a lot. Um, so strep mutans you brought up, and I do want to just point out to folks that strep mutans is not only linked to dental caries, but also Sjogren and um, you know some other autoimmune diseases, including rheumatoid arthritis. So there is without question an oral, a strong oral gut connection. You know, yes. and and the I think the forty five percent overlap is, you know, is significant. But beyond that, there's there there these organisms are are talking to each other, talking to the entire body, um, all of the time, and and either stoking inflammation or quenching inflammation. So, um, thank you for that. The and I just wanted to you know go back to brushing and flossing, which you which you support, you know, gentle brushing and, and appropriate flossing. Um, do you, I mean, do, on, on your site, do you have some information about that if people want to access it or anything on, you yep. know, how often we should be brushing and the products we should yep. be using so those details can be accessed? Yeah, definitely. And we also have YouTube videos. Uh, there's a video of me brushing and how not to brush. And, and um, yes, absolutely. And that's important. Um, and then we reply to things like uh, there was a study out of England that said uh, flossing was was actually not good for you and things like that. So, um, no, I'm here to tell you we still have to floss. Yep. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> I actually, it actually, it feels good to me, but um, I, I, I can absolutely tell that I'm liberating bacteria when I do that. Uh, right. So, you know, you've been looking at um, CRP. And the and the 
and the mouth, the oropharynx influence on um, CRP elevation, which of course is indicative of systemic inflammation. Can you can you talk a little bit about you know what what brought you to that connection, what you've seen, and what you're doing in your practice around CRP? Definitely, definitely, yes. Um, that's a good question. Um, and again, it has to do with collaboration between dental and med- the medical world. Um, uh, for example, uh, just pure pure gum disease, periodontitis. It essentially we know that it stimulates the liver to produce the C-reactive protein, uh, which then we know can damage blood vessels uh, over time. So, and the studies all indicate that connection. Studies show that patients with the severe gum disease do have elevated CRP levels. Um, so, and I started noticing that, I mean, in a way that indirectly, for example, all my patients with severe gum disease were having dents done, for example. Mm. Uh, they had heart, they had high blood pressure. Uh, um, uh, a lot of these people were very thin. I mean, I, I practice in the Silicon Valley, and these are very entrepreneurial, uh, you know, high stress, uh, no sleep kind of, you know, uh, people. And, and of course, there are other factors at play, but it was clear to me, especially in the South Asian population, um, and there's a book on that, uh, specifically referring to the South Asian males that are thin and tall that come from India to the Silicon Valley and start having problems. And mm. I've literally had to chase down some of these men. I don't know why they're always men, but they are typically. And... Um, and and call them and say, listen, you know, what I see in your mouth indicates to me that you are headed for heart disease. And in fact, um, this has happened um, where, you know, either they died. I mean, this is someone who has not had a cleaning in six to eight years. Mm. They have severe gum disease. Uh, and then some we've been able to literally save where we brought them in and they had their stents, but now they're getting their quadrants of root cleaning and they're getting their gum disease treated. So it's a scary connection. Again, I, I came about it kind of in the clinical uh, way, seeing this correlation, and then met a doctor actually at, at our Palo Alto Medical Clinic here that wrote that book, which is a great book. I recommend it for anyone. You don't have to be South Asian. And, and we started talking. We did a TEDx talk together. Uh, we were connected actually by one of my patients, and it was fascinating. And that's where I came up with this idea of writing or creating this form Again, it's the collaboration between medicine and dentists. He was treating a lot of his patients, and a lot of cardiologists that I work with are treating their patients. And one of the ways they will observe uh, improvement in, in, you know, clinically is by observing their CRP. Well, what right. if the CRP is elevated and they're una- because of the gum disease and they're unaware of that? Well, this yes. form solves that issue. Uh, it, the cardiologist would automatically say, well, okay, well, we need to clear you in terms of the oral health and bring this form to your dentist. The dentist will fill it out and assess the likelihood of CRP contribution uh, via, you know, anything in the mouth, and then that can kind of get addressed. So so that's been wonderful. I mean, has it been, has this form been, you know, taken up by the medical community? Not not really. Um, a, a lot of people are, a lot of uh, physicians that I work with and, and um, healthcare practitioners that I work with are using it. But mm-hmm. again, um, that's kind of how I came about it, um, kind of through that connection, through right. literally South Asian males. And observing um, it over and yeah. over again. Right, right. That's incredible. And, uh, we, and why, not, why not have a dentist uh, take, uh, ask for a CRP and, and, and while we're treating gum disease? I mean, that's another thing that should be yes. done. Um, it's a great test. It's inexpensive. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, I think CRP is very important. Uh, it, it, it essentially it's a, a great indicator, or it should show to everyone that how important oral health is, because it's mm-hmm. a big factor in the systemic uh, production of CRP. So it's a perfect example of how the mouth contributes to uh, systemic inflammation. Well, you know what? And conversely, if you've got a patient with a good low CRP you can probably infer that oral health is likewise relatively yeah. dialed in. Would you say that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. That's, that's such a, a really another useful pearl. And this is something I've seen in my practice. In fact, you know, just recently a patient with chronically elevated CRP, it's been, a, it's been around six uh, for some time before she came to see me. And so we were working on, you know, all the, the functional approaches that I do here, and she did have severe 
uh, periodontitis, and she had laser surgery, and really almost immediately her CRP dropped, and it's currently yep. 1.7. So we're, wow. we're in the right, right direction. Yeah, and it was 6 originally, and really a refractory 6. So I did my end of the work, and um, she got, you know, good dental care, and she's, uh, she's doing quite well. Great to hear. That's, a, again, team approach. Yeah. Important. I know, I know. I think, and I think that you've made a, a strong argument for it. And I can see the areas that I have blinders on, or I just haven't considered that you've enlightened me on today. So, as we as we head into the home stretch here, Mark, uh, anything else you want to add about, um, you know, how we might, as as functional medicine docs, you know, uh, connect with you, or any other words of right. wisdoms to uh, to, yeah, to send boy, us off with. Um, there's so much to say. Um, well, first of all, any of your listeners and readers, by all means, uh, give them my email address. It's on the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm happy to talk to them about any of this. Uh, they can, if they want, they can send me. I can give them a little uh, quick protocol on how to take an intraoral photo. And there's so much that can be that can be, you know, weaned from that. I mean, they can send me photos. I can get them in the right direction very quickly within just a matter of minutes. Um, I'm happy to do that, but uh, I'm just happy here to be able to talk about how important, you know, what happens in the mouth happens in the body, and yes. just to keep reinforcing that. So um, I think I, I think maybe one thing uh, that would be important, um, and that is, uh, you know, I was reinforced. When, when a patient comes in, I'm always asking, when was your last physical? Um, I'm trying to cross over a little bit. I won't do any diagnosing because that's out of my realm, but I'm trying to uh, reinforce the other healthcare aspects and, and visits with my patients. So if they haven't had a physical, I will sit down with them and tell them why that's important or why that's a bad thing and, and how it can contribute to their, uh, you know, poor oral health, but certainly their whole body. And then, and again, you know what I'm talking about. We all do. Um, I'm looking at the whole body. I, I'm a dentist, and, of course, they come in for me to look at their teeth. But, again, if I see something wrong, I will point it out and say, listen, go get a sleep study. Um, you know, you've got, um, you've got, you know, uh, diabetes and your blood sugar levels aren't great and you're telling me that your toes are numb. I mean, I mean, I, I have a list of names that I give out. I mean, there's no reason why we can't branch out and kind of overlap yes. with the other specialties and, and keep reinforcing. And again, it's all about treating the person as a whole being, a whole organism. And I think that's so important and that, that's what I love about your show and you know, and that's what I love about what's happening on the Internet. Patients are looking elsewhere. They yes. are fed up with the old medical system in general. We still need it. I mean, if we get into a car accident, we need them. They do patch us up and fix us up. They're great at that, um, you know, with the new robot surgical devices and all that. I mean, it's fantastic what we can do once we do get heart disease, how we can stay alive for another 20, 30 years. But I think people are getting it. They are looking to the web. They're looking to our websites, and they're asking us in the, in the chair, in the clinics, um, there, there must be something more to this. How mm-hmm. can I improve the quality of my life? How can I square my life curve without, you know, having to deal with side effects of pharmaceuticals and, and, and getting into trouble? So I just think that as a healthcare practitioner, even though I'm just really a specialist, um, I try and when that patient comes in, I try and look at him and say, listen, we're doing teeth here, but I've noticed these things. Please go see this person and this person. And I think that's really kind of the kind of a metaphor for the oral systemic connection. I mean, I'm looking at the mouth, but I'm also looking at the body. Thank you. Thanks for that. Uh, okay, so folks, askthedentist.com is Dr. Brahena's site, uh, and The Eight-Hour Sleep Paradox is his book. Uh, we'll provide you links to these resources. And um, again, Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.